0: Welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's bi-weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World, PW's monthly uh, email newsletter.
1: Hi, I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the co-editor of PW Comics World and the graphic novel review editor for Publishers Weekly, as well as the editor-in-chief of Comics Beat, www.comicsbeat.com. Hi, and I'm Kate Fitzsons. I'm the podcast producer, and I write for both of them. So this week, we're going to be talking about our new case for the CBLDF, um, the death of comics giant Gene Colan, some comics that are looking at uh, current events, including the death of Osama bin Laden, what's going on with Ultimate Spider-Man, is he dead? Um, We'll take a look at what's going on in comic book movies, and also what's going on with crowdfunding. And Calvin, uh, let's start off with...
0: Well, we're going to start off with a, a new case that the, uh, the Comic Book Legal, Legal Defense Fund has decided to throw its support behind. Actually, in an in an interview that I did with Charles Brownstein actually a couple of months ago about the the, the CBLDF and, and their work that they do, one of the things he pointed out to me was that, that they had issued really a, a traveler's warning to Americans traveling into Canada because of the ca- Canadian government's aggressive stance, searching visitors to the country, and searching their, their laptops for what they consider to be obscene material, very often um, seizing comics material, digital comics, uh, particularly manga. And in, in this particular case, an American citizen, a, a computer programmer, um, according to Brownstein, his the computer was, was seized at a Canadian airport, searched, that the Canadian authorities decided what was on the computer, was child pornography. Um, he currently is uh, um, out of jail back in the U.S., banned from using the Internet except on his job. The um, the CBLDF is providing financial support as well as legal strategy and, and expert testimony. And Charles Brownstein says in many ways that this is an important test case. Um, this has happened before. And any comics fan or creator could be in the same situation uh, that this young man is from um
1: I yeah i mean this is a pretty incredible situation especially since we consider canada to be our peaceful you know hockey loving neighbors to the north and and they don't they don't they seem to be such nice friendly people that the fact that their border guards are like snooping onto people's computers and looking at things and declaring them obscene is, is kind of upsetting just in, in a lot of different levels and You know, I think why this story has really uh, caught a lot of people's attention and one reason why the CBLDF took it on is that this could be any one of us. I mean, you know, we're journalists. We get emails sent to us every day, and some of them have attachments. I mean, I have downloaded things that uh, were definitely questionable. Uh, You know, they might have gone into some hidden cache on my computer or somewhere. I mean, I'm sure there's things that, uh, that are manga- that look really bad on my computer right now. Not only that, the fact that it's manga means that
2: frequently, to somebody who doesn't understand manga, something that is, you know, completely above board, contains no actual real people, and the characters in it are even adults, will look to some border guard who's never seen manga before in much detail, like child porn, maybe, if they're feeling overzealous. Right. And how does that even work? That, I mean, like I can see how you can rifle through a bag and quickly, like, is there any porn here? No, but like, hard drives have a lot of stuff on it. How much time are they taking at the border going through people's stuff, and who do they choose to go through?
0: Another uh, issue at play here is, uh, and, and that the CBLDF has also uh, uh, been, gone the court over, is a, the the um, the notion of what is a criminal act is uh, the, is imagining a criminal act is drawing something the same thing as actually doing something. So this has been a long running battle. And in there the and there have
1: been like differing uh opinions delivered by even uh going up to the Supreme Court on whether drawn material is uh obscene in the same way or can be can be prosecuted in the same way as actual uh, photographs. I mean, I mean, we're all agreed that if there is, you know, a photo of child pornography, that that is a crime sure. has been committed. That's really obvious. If someone has drawn a picture or something, even though we might find it, you know, repugnant and morally unacceptable, is that a crime? I, I personally do not think so.
0: And there's also a history of uh, Canadian border uh, border officials seizing material, keeping people in jail overnight, and then actually coming to the determination that is indeed not not obscene. And we don't know what's going to happen in this particular case, but the uh, the potential for a change in Canadian law is there. Uh, and and as I understand it, the uh, the laws of free expression are very different. Uh, even uh,
1: this is a yeah. This is a really big case. Uh, the Canadian they don't have a uh, First Amendment the way we do. America is fairly unique and our our pretty stringent First Amendment. Uh, protection in the Constitution, but they, they do have a, a Canadian legal defense fund that's sort of similar to what our CBLDF does, and it's actually been resurrected. it was it been out of commission for quite a while, so it's actually been resurrected to take on this case.
0: And the CBLDF is estimating that it could cost as much as $150,000 to defend. so
1: this uh, is a American. great this is a great time to uh, show your support for free speech and not having your computer seized at the border yeah. and searched and <laughs> being thrown in jail for a year so it's also a great time not to take your computer to Canada That's <laughs> right,
0: <yes. laughs> uh, and it's also a really good time to go to CBLDF.org org and uh, and you can learn more about this case and uh, should you choose you can also make a contribution
1: okay well next up Uh, We have a sad story, which is the death of artist Gene Colan, and uh, he is definitely one of the pillars of the Silver Age. Uh, He died last week at the age of 84. He had been in very ill health. He had a lot of liver problems. and You know, it's kind of the the sad story of the creator, who was really a pillar of Marvel's uh, characters and artwork during the Silver Age and into the 70s. Um, and he had to work really quite right up to the end doing commissions. I mean, he did it happily because he loved artwork. But I mean, you know, he was not able to retire on the on the fruits of his labor. Um, Colin was known for drawing Daredevil and Iron Man uh, in the in the uh, 60s. In the 70s, he really made a splash with Tuma Dracula and Howard the Duck, which are two books that really led the Marvel's relevant era. Um, and, uh, he was, uh, he was probably my favorite Marvel artist, just to go fangirl for a moment. He really captured a sense of, of character and humanity, and, uh, and yet with action. I mean, he was really one of a kind.
0: And a really, uh, a really interesting and flowing, uh, gestural drawing style, too. I mean, it was really, his characters were really fluid. Uh, I grew up with, with his Daredevil, and I remember him principally for that, but I, but a couple of years ago, I had the uh, the great pleasure to sit on a, a panel with him. So he he was a great gentleman, and I really loved hearing him talk. Really talk about how he created, how he worked, and how he worked at, at Marvel.
1: Yeah, there's a really good obituary of him right up uh, up right now on tcj.com, the comic journal website. And uh, there's a couple things that Colin did uh, in addition to drawing superheroes. He also uh, was one of the pioneers of creator own comics. Uh, Howard, uh, Howard the Duck was created by Steve Gerber, and he had a whole legal battle trying to get it back, and unsuccessfully, as it turned out. But uh, he and Gene Collin did a book called Stuart the Rat together, which was a benefit for their uh, their legal costs. And uh, actually, in the, in the 90s, the early uh, aughts, he was one of the first comics artists, uh, certainly one of the first Silver Age artists, to really get into the Internet. Set up a website with selling art and selling commissions and, you know, made, made a, a, a living off of it. And he was definitely an early adapter on that. So, um, you know, rest in peace, Gene Colan. He was really one of the greats. And on the Howard the Duck thing,
2: I mean, how's that working for you, Marvel? Has anyone published Howard the Duck anything in the last 20 years that made any money?
1: No. <laughs> well, yeah. is it really worth the bad press? Yeah.
0: Moving on to our next topic.
2: There's going to be a comic coming out, well, actually, graphic novel coming out from IDW about the attack that killed Osama bin Laden. And, I mean, they're hiring on technical advisors who, you know, are actually military historians and have experience in the military to make it as accurate as possible. And I assume they're going to try to be as respectful as possible, although I don't know how good the writing's going to be. But is this this really something that should be made into a comic book i mean obviously it can be but is it in good taste is it creepy <laughs> is it too soon well, it's, it's
1: like the thrilling,
0: the, above. the thrilling
1: story of the raid on osama bin laden is one that really has captured the public's imagination as well as you know obama's imagination um And, I mean, we're just going to see the story told many, many times. I mean, I'm kind of, in a way, heartened to see a a cash-in comic book coming out so quickly. I'm actually impressed. A lot of times comics are companies really are not that uh, in touch with trends, and it takes like a year to come out. So I'm actually impressed that IDW's striking while the iron's hot. Well, to be fair, I'm really glad it's IDW, and they appear to be doing some kind of research
2: instead of, you know... Blue water yeah. where it'll be right up oh, there with set. the Robert Pattinson <laughs> comic yeah. and we have oh entered,
0: we have entered into a period of, 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 of I'll call them instant books. I mean that's what they call them in the prose world. Uh, there are probably other names that we can call them to um, but uh, yeah, I think that it maybe it could be said that the comics the comics in, uh, industry uh, um, the comics category has kind of stepped up to the plate when they can turn around a book really quickly. To take advantage of some, you know, current event. Well,
2: there's and no point in not doing it because, I mean, if they can, if, they, if it's a good idea to do it in the first place, because comics are short and do usually get turned around pretty quickly when being created. Yeah, for a
0: labor-intensive medium, but yeah. this is really, um, really one of the first of what will be many versions and retellings and recreations and adaptations, adaptations of, of this this incident. Um, uh, it, I, I really do think eventually. This uh, the killing of Osama bin Laden is going to become one of the great American myths, and we're going to see many interpretations of it. Uh, this yes, apparently only, the
1: Navy SEALs also chopped down a cherry tree while they were there. There you go, there
0: you go. <laughs> I think it's interesting that this is uh, this was kind of announced that roughly in the same week that Frank Miller's Holy Terror apparently has, has been revived wait, uh, wait, it's coming uh, and, back. and re kind of rejiggered um, for a non DC publication uh, at Legendary Comics. So. Comics, uh, indeed, as popular media always has, will turn America's enemies and its conflicts into, like, you know, grist for the popular culture mill.
1: That's right. That's right. And, you know, why shouldn't they? I mean, honestly, sure. if it's a it's a medium like any other, I mean, political cartoonists mm-hmm. have been having a field day with us on the other side. You know, they're the ones who are kind of expected to, to do their own lightning strike. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's. Uh, I, I think there's nothing wrong with it, and like I said, I'm kind of impressed to see uh, a comics company reacting this quickly.
0: Yeah, just to and back, just to bring it very quickly, the the uh, the topic we talked about very briefly, the um, the North Korean comics exhibition. I think it was talked about. in, Was that salon uh, on our on our on our agenda sheet? They. Uh, the only reason I bring that up because when you look at those comics.
2: uh, It was actually MSNBC. It was MSNBC,
0: excuse me, Slate MSNBC, excuse me. Um, But when you do read those comics, actually, you find that what they've done is turn America and its allies into the great villains that its heroes defeat. So it's very interesting now that we see um, comics like Holy Terror. The the Bin Laden graphic novel, as as presented by IDW, does sound like it is grounded in some sense of history and research. Uh, I'm sure there'll be many others that are not.
1: Turning to uh, fictional uh, bereavement here, Uh, recently, actually it was last week, in all the pages of Ultimate Spider-Man, there was a big shocker when it was revealed that Peter Parker was dying. And it was, uh, I'm sorry, spoiler alert, uh, spoiler alert. Uh, This was spoiled uh, the the Tuesday morning in the pages of the New York Post, and pretty much every other media outlet really picked up the story. So uh, uh, the Ultimate Comics line is an alternate version of the Marvel uh, universe that that has different characters. It was created 10 years ago, however, so it isn't like a fresh, brand new. I mean, the characters have been around quite a while. So as these things must, it was time for somebody to die and uh, to boost sales along the way. So uh, I think what's interesting about this is kind of how it was marketed. Well, I mean, to back up here a bit, lots of
2: major... Marvel characters have, in fact, died in the Ultimate line already. And because it's an alternate universe, and they can do whatever they want. They can make Batman a ninja if they want. So the mere fact that Marvel made this a major media event, when even in comics, most fans don't care. I mean, I would be hard-pressed to find a comic fan and be like, oh my god, Death of the Ultimate Spider-Man, biggest story ever is very interesting, especially when you look at some of the headlines or, or opening paragraphs to these articles covering it for the mainstream press, going, what will happen to the franchise? And nothing will
1: happen to the franchise. The franchise is still
2: holding Yeah, but a it, was a,
1: it was a real bait and switch in that way. Yeah, I mean When you oh, say totally Peter was. Parker dies, I mean, everybody has, uh, not everybody, but I mean, the Spider-Man films have a huge uh, audience. You know, people know who Peter Parker is. Yes. They know who Cla- yeah. Clark Kent is, Absolutely. you know? I mean, they know who Bruce Wayne is. These characters have a huge... So you see a headline that says, Peter Parker is dead. I mean, people are oh, going to be People pay
0: attention. Yeah, people who know nothing about comics yes. pay attention. Right. One of the great things to me about the death, and and you can't see me, but I'm, I'm making air quotation marks, the death of characters, particularly these kinds of iconic characters in, in, in the comic book universe, is it, it, they always make me just anxious to see how soon is it before they bring them back?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, in the Ultimate Universe, people tend to tend to stay dead. They don't get resu- mm-hmm. Ultimate's a little bit more yeah. hardcore. It's like you know the the hardcore level in Warcraft, you know. Or,
0: <laughs> or, 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 or I'll put it this way, some version of a character, there'll be some Spider-Man returning, yeah. even if it is isn't well, Peter. Well, Parker, we know that
1: Amazing well. Spider-Man is still going yeah. on in the regular six one six Marvel Universe. Right, as yes. call <laughs> it. I mean, he's, he's still
2: the same, the point is that Spider-Man is still even actively in many comics coming out right now that are in the regular main Marvel Universe. This is just this side thing. It's, it's like This side universe where anything can happen, including, I'm not kidding, the Wasp, Jan Pym, Dash Van Dyne, getting eaten by somebody. That was her death. She got
1: eaten. <laughs> well, if <laughs> you're very really small, that's a risk. <laughs> yes. I, I think, for me, uh, what was most interesting about the death of Ultimate Spider-Man was just that that Marvel went right out and spoiled it. And mm-hmm. uh, and well, they uh, Marvel's do. communications director Arud Singh did an interview with uh, with Comics Alliance and explained that uh, they did this to get in lapsed fans. It's their own form of outreach. Death mm-hmm. is very very popular and uh, trendy and splashy. So blind people read it, I mean, that is why the, the hardcore fans are, you know, moaning and complaining, oh, how did you spoil this for us? And uh, Marvel's corporate interests are just saying, you know what, we needed to sell this story.
0: The casual lapsed fans perk up their ears. What? Even if they're outraged, that means they're going to check it out.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Although, frankly, given that Marvel has joked, or we, we're not sure if they're joking or not about <laughs> killing a new character... Every financial quarter, if they're gonna do it, <laughs> this is the way to wow. do it because it has no impact on the regular comics whatsoever. So, so sales like, sales and marketing doing people it, are
0: like cheering. <laughs> Good, bump somebody off every quarter. I love it. <laughs> All right, so we move on to movies. Movies,
2: yes. Green Lantern was something of a disappointment. Yeah, <laughs> <there was> something. <laughs>
1: Um, I think mean, that when last we talked, no one mm-hmm. had seen Green Lantern, <laughs> and now
0: we've all seen it. Yes, well, yes. can I quote my Twitter yes. review? Yes, please. Uh, do. What did I say? Oh, I laughed. I cringed. I rolled my eyes. <laughs> but that, which is, and, and to be fair, there were some things that I did like about it. But it, it's an oddly uh, irritating movie.
2: <laughs> well, my viewing pleasure may have been increased by the fact two facts. One, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, is a jet test pilot. Two, the person I saw the movie with is from an Air Force family that has many, many jokes about the relative self-centeredness of jet pilots. And so she was cracking up through the whole movie because she had just shown me before it a humorous music video called I'm a Jet Pilot, It's All About Me. <laughs> <laughs> and so every time... And it was amazingly appropriate to the movie, because every time the plot got derailed, to center in on uh, Hal Jordan's vaguely defined and not terribly convincing personal pain, we were like, I'm a jet pilot, it's all about me!
1: Which was probably not
2: what DC was going for.
1: Well, uh, whatever they were going for, Green Lantern is definitely this year's cause celeb. Among superhero movies, it's caused everybody to kind of question whether the superhero movie is even, you know, viable oh, anymore. Please. And uh, you know, there's been constant uh, examinations of what went wrong, and you know, finger pointing within Warner Brothers. I mean, was it Jeff Johns' fault? He was the uh, chief creative mm-hmm. officer of DC Comics, who supposedly had a huge input on this movie. Was it maybe Jeff Robinov's point, who was like supposedly uh, cutting cutting it himself? The broad outline of the movie, there was nothing wrong with it. And
2: frankly, I thought the actors did their best and were fine. It's just that you've got a movie about a superhero and space, which like gives you so much to play with. And what do you do? You spend almost no time on superheroes or space. It's kind well, I, of a no
1: I think the broad... I disagree with it. I do think the broad outline of the movie was very puzzling. I mean, I don't understand. Well, I, it I, just didn't have a good... good it was made by committee. It was very, very clear. I think
0: that's pretty clear. But but I also also think one of the key problems for me with the Green Lantern movie, and and, and in some ways I'm contrasting it with the X-Men first class movie, is that there was a clearly defined villain and there was not in Green Lantern. I'm sorry, superhero movies, villains, I think are tremendously important. I think they need personality. I think they need some sense of, of creating some artificial sense of fear. I don't think a big blobby Uh, skull head, spoiler alert, uh, uh, floating in uh, in space, really is so terribly interesting, frightening, or compelling.
2: Well, I mean, they they sort of attempted to get you to know the villain, only that was the secondary villain, who wasn't even very scary, and just spent most of the movie not as a villain, just standing around being pathetic. Yeah. But the, the real reason the Green Lantern is interesting is that DC dash Warner Brothers is making noises about maybe they want
1: to sequel. Well, I think that's a trial balloon. I mean, basically, the thing is that this movie was hugely important to Warner Brothers. I mean, I think we talked about that last time. This is set up to be the beginning of a whole new franchise that was going to replace Harry Potter, the most successful movie franchise of all time, Oh dear. in their uh in their coffers and it was supposed to kick things off so they had so much invested in it they spent over a hundred million dollars marketing this movie and i mean if you look around it's on beverages it's on you know cell phones i I mean the the posters have been everywhere and they have a ton of licensing partners for this movie also the toy line alone Mm -hmm. is huge and i I actually think it is going to sell some toys i think i think it's going to be a little bit more successful in the aftermarket than people give it credit for but um I, I think they did have plans to make a sequel, and and the idea has cautiously been advanced, but then just as cautiously withdrawn. So I, I mean, I think they don't know what to
0: more to come. We'll yeah. see
1: more more to come on that. And meanwhile, turning to the next superhero movie, we have Captain America, which is opening in two weeks, and I feel like this movie got a huge boost just by uh, all these Dunkin' Donut ads that uh, that the. The Dunkin' Donut ad showing the construction worker turning into Captain America is one of the most clever tie-ins I've seen for one of these it's,
0: movies. It's funny. It's funny. Well, I think, I have to give Marvel credit. I mean, I think they've done a good job. I mean, one of the interesting things for me about these superhero movies is is is, is the conception, how you transfer it from what comics fans know in print and from what it's going to be on the film where there are always slight tweaks, obviously, to the uniforms and to origin stories and to other things. While they want it to be what the fans want, they want to give it some larger sense, some new sense for the new fans. From what I can see of the trailers, uh, I just find the Captain America uh, event film coming. It's really intriguing to me. They seem to have done a great job. Uh, just graphically and in terms of designing, and, and even in terms of the uniform and going back to Cap's you know, uh, origins in World War II. So I'm really looking forward to this book.
2: And from the newer trailers, which reveal more of this than the older ones, I feel like it's now becoming clear that at least they're trying for and they seem to be getting, the movie having a lot of heart. That you have a real sense of these characters as characters and that they have interesting struggles
1: and issues. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look at, you know, is Joe Johnston, who made The Rocketeer uh, quite a long time ago, 20 years ago, but uh, he definitely has a, a, a good command of these kind of period pieces, and he's he very good at doing just what you talked about, and, you know, just to go back to Green Lantern for a moment, I think one of the funniest things about that whole thing is how the director, Martin Campbell, who's made things like The Mask of Zorro and Casino Royale, could not get away from that movie fast It's like, if you read every interview, he's like, oh, yeah, I made that movie, yep, yep.
2: Move and, it on. And that's, uh, you know,
1: so. I mean,
2: I have heard that there are actually multiple cuts of this movie which are, like, completely different from each other floating around. I'm sure there probably are. And probably, so probably it should be
1: interesting come DVD time
2: What they if they try to do anything with that. I think it's that. going
1: to be interesting in two weeks when we're at San Diego and we hear all the gossip about it. That's oh, what I'm I, I want to hear the gossip that you heard when Reynolds? you
0: hear it. Looked good in the uniform. He did. And he did the best he could with the role.
2: You can't fault the actors on this one.
0: So, moving on. Uh, Moving on. um, We had a wonderful story this week, an interesting story that we ran earlier this week uh, by Todd Allen in in PW Comics World. It was called Crowdfunding. And what it was was an an interesting look at, um, principally, the website kickstarter.com. The Kickstarter is a website that... Uh, a website and, and social media uh, platform that, that basically allows people to post pro, uh, projects that they would like to do and to uh, ask the general public if they think it's a good idea to uh, uh, to donate any amount of money that they choose. And uh, along with that, there's usually a schedule of premiums and and, and things that, that, that the pledgers can get. You can either uh, get a copy of the book, if that's it, or T-shirts. Or for higher amounts, you can even be drawn into a comic project. And Kickstarter has become a really popular place for comics artists to go to launch independent products, uh, projects. One thing that it seems to be happening now is that even if the, um, uh, the, uh, the, the the comics creators have legitimate publishers, they're finding that they can go to Kickstarter as an additional source of funding. Right,
2: and what makes it interesting, and maybe a little sad, is that many of them need to. That, for whatever reason, their publishers aren't able to, or aren't willing to, give them money it actually takes to produce their product.
1: And uh, a lot of the, the the projects that were discussed in the article are published at Image Comics, which mm-hmm. is a co- kind of a cooperative, collective publisher, where you bring your project, you own all the rights, and you pay a a fee to Image to publish it and to uh, put it in the catalog and distribute it, but everything else is really on you. Image will do some marketing, but you but you really need to bring more to the to the to the table. And quite a few image creators have gone to Kickstarter to fund marketing programs for their comics. I mean, not even. Also, some of them have gone in there for uh for to actually create the project because you don't get a page rate when you're doing an image comic. I think maybe the most interesting one was. Um, Mark Siegel, who's the yes, you know the editor in chief of his own book line, and he had uh, a project on Kickstarter.
0: Mark Siegel uh, is actually using Kickstarter to raise money to to do an ad campaign for the comic. The web comic is called Sailor Twain. It's a fascinating um, a comic strip done online that actually had it's set in it set in the set in the nineteenth uh, century, um, um, amid the era of the the, the steamboat. And there used to be uh, back in the 1800s, there were steamboats that that plied between Albany and Manhattan, and this was uh, uh, this was a, a really big part of the transportation system. He's created a, a story set in that era, and he's using Kickstarter to raise money to be able to buy ads for it, because he's actually publishing it as a print book himself. Uh, I believe in 2012 uh, as a first second book. So this is really. This has really kind of opened up a whole new area of of funding. I think it's very interesting and fascinating and it gives creators and I think in some ways it'll give publishers an opportunity just for new sources of support for comics.
2: Okay, so why don't we move on
1: to the roundup of upcoming books that you guys want to talk about. Okay, well I have uh, our little uh, what I'm reading or uh, recommendation and this week I'm going to talk about Fantagraphics. I mean they always have a million great books come out but um, They have a couple of ones that are really awesome that just came out this month. Uh, Congress of the Animals is the uh, second full-length graphic novel by Jim Woodring. Uh, It features his Frank character in a kind of undefinable story. What was his first one? His first one was um, Weathercraft, which featured uh, Manhog, And so uh, this is the first one that's featured Frank. And, uh, I mean, if you're into Jim Woodring, you already know he's like a fantasist of paranoia and mystery and danger and, and the ineffable and visionaries and strange things happening. And, uh, if any of that sounds interesting to you at all, if you haven't seen his work, uh, he, he's one of a kind. He's just one of the, the, the best living cartoonists, I think. And, and to have a, a whole book of his amazing drawing is, is really exciting. Um, going back in time, we have, uh, the first Mickey Mouse. Grace Death Valley by Floyd Godfurtzen. Uh Finally, a beautiful new edition of Floyd Godforson's Mickey Mouse strips. And, uh, really people cool. who haven't seen this, it's just incredible. Isn't it's this the so first of, of many uh, archival
2: Mickey Mouse strip books that are going to be coming out for Pantographic? I uh, guess it is. So did they pick it
1: chronologically, or did they pick it because it was particularly good? I think they started out with the first strip, actually. So, and you know, I think people—I I, I keep saying this—but people who have never seen Godfredsen, uh, he's been talked about quite a bit. Uh, he was in the, the Comics Masters exhibit, and uh, he's really known among the comics cognoscenti. But for the first time, people who have never really seen it are able to get a look, and it's just—it's—it's it's, uh, down to uh, down to earth. Cartooning for the 30s—it was a rough time, you know. It, it, Mickey Mouse considers suicide in this in this comic strip. I mean, it's pretty—it's pretty rough stuff. If all you've seen of
2: Mickey Mouse and so on is the denatured cartoons that have come out in the last 20 years, do yourself a
1: favor and at least look at it in the store. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And finally, I just wanted to mention that Comic Journal 301 One is out. This is—they're uh, they're doing it as a yearly. Uh, trade paperback now. Uh, it costs $30, so it is a, you know, a little bit of an investment, but there's some really incredible stuff in here. Tim Kreider has a look at Cerebus that I think is the best, the best analysis really? that I've ever seen. Yeah, it's really. Because that's a book really, that can use some analysis. Yes, man. definitely. It's really <laughs> fantastic. Um, an you know, Scary Groth interviewing Joe Sacco. Uh, there's comics in here. There's, a, it's really for a, a, a once a year compendium of, uh, amazing, uh, uh, you know, comics journalism, and if you're interested in comics at all, from a scholarly or journalistic standpoint, it's, it's well well worth your
0: $30. So I've got a bunch of books here. I'll, I'm going to start off with um, a, a new uh, adaptation of Ray Bradbury's uh, The Martian Chronicles. Uh, it's uh, done by uh, Dennis Galero. It's, it's uh, published by um, uh, it, the Novel Graphics Line, uh, started by... Uh, 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 Tom Levine, who is uh, uh, the publisher at Hill & Wang Publishers at Ferris strauss um, uh Tom's program at Hill & Wang is principally uh, creating um, um, comics works, uh, 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 non-fiction comics works, but he's starting to branch out and doing some fiction by adapting these classics, classic works. Uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, uh, he did Ray Bradbury's uh, Fahrenheit 451, and now he's come back with The Martian Chronicles, and I believe something Wicked This Way Comes is yes. also being, being adapted. So obviously, uh, this is something to pay attention to. Uh, I'm going to do a little manga here. I'm going I'm to to quickly go through three books from Viz Media. Uh, first off, Viz um, uh, uh, is also starting to get into the marketplace. Really, some manga that's very different from the kind of commercial manga we generally get. Uh, m- uh, most of it looks uh, would be more akin to uh, American indie comics. Very quickly, uh, the artist, the, artists, uh, the ma- manga-ka, uh, Natsumi Ono, has a book uh, coming out, La Quinta Chimera, And also... Um, what well, can uh, you tell us about this? Uh, La Quinta Camera is um, really a book about uh, young people living together in, uh, in, in in Italy, I believe it is. Um, so it's it's really kind of set in a contemporary scene and kind of looks at young people as they interact. Um, and
1: Ono, you know, Ono went to Italy herself, and, uh-huh. she, and so mm-hmm. so share herself is a little bit more autobiographically minded. Like you said, it's a lot more like indie comics, in the United than States. than what
0: you expect from uh, general the, the manga we've seen so so far. And also, I'll give it my all tomorrow. My favorite, three. My favorite. Volume title. three. Uh, it's hilarious. Um, the the manga card that that really isn't. Um, and uh, I believe in this volume, uh, his his uh, father is giving him. Some tips on how to go. Um, <laughs> is you can, you, you don't have to make the manga, but you know, you can do something else and just tell people that you're making <laughs>
1: the manga.
0: So, uh, and then also, uh, this is bringing in what they say is a uh, the uh, the uncensored version of, uh, and I'm probably going to say this right. I can never get it correct. Was it Tingo Tenge? Um, uh, it, it, this book has a has a really interesting uh, history. Uh, it was published uh, or sort of published five or six years ago by CMX in uh, a version that caused a lot of controversy. I mean... T- yeah, yes Yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: it was one of the t- launch titles yes. and as soon as the fans got one of the fact that it was being but edited, it created it, a huge... Well, well first off, like the notion edited. that
0: you can turn it into, that you can turn really what is an explicit kind of fight manga into a you know, 12 and under books. Well, it it's wasn't sort of the started. fighting
1: that they were upset well, with. It no. It was the sex. It was the sex. Yeah. And believe
0: me, there's plenty of it. Yeah. So they brought it back uh, in a version that they claim will be completely uncensored. And from what I can see of this first volume, uh, they're they're not kidding. So in other words, do
1: not take this book to Canada.
0: No. That's Don't take this book it. to Canada. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should have, I didn't
1: install our own rating and, line uh, here
0: And know. it's also not safe Canada-friendly.
1: Yeah, I
2: feel, I feel like that's, you know, they're... All these different publishers are now working on creating a self-rating line, and I should—I feel like the top rating should be like not safe for Canada.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And finally, um, I'm gonna—I t- just want to say a few words about Manga Man, a really interesting uh, book uh, created by uh, the novelist uh, Barry Laga who is
1: oh, and Colleen uh, Doran, and, doing and
0: the illustrated by Colleen uh, Duran. Uh, really interesting story. A, a rift in the time-space continuum seems to introduce a manga character into an um, what an indie comics world, and and it's kind of a look at this manga character trying to survive in a in a high school where all the characters are drawn very different from he is, uh, and his his comic book behavior is very different than theirs. So. It's a, a piece of metafiction uh, in the in the graphic novel world by really, I really too it. really too talented creators. Yeah,
1: yeah, Barry Lagos, the writer of the astonishing adventures of Fanboy yes, and Goth Girl, yes. um, he has his whole whole yeah. uh, series of uh, prose books about uh, kind of kids who are in this nerd world. So this is his, his first graphic novel about that. So, and I
0: think Barry worked for worked for Diamond for years. Yeah, he for worked for Diamond. And so so, yeah. so this is coming from Houghton Mifflin.
1: All right. Well, that's that's uh, that looks like we've wrapped up all of our uh, recommendations. Uh, now, we'll be back in, in two weeks' time with our big San Diego Comic-Con yes. preview podcast. And so I guess you could really say there is more to come.
0: Yes, and, and since so she's already said it, I think that's where we can end it.